So there's some uh, commercials Amy and I love uh, from Progressive. Uh, there's a guy named Dr. Rick. And uh, Dr. Rick's goal in life is uh, basically the statement is, when you buy your first home, you become your parents. And so Dr. Rick's job is to keep you from becoming your parents. Um, and so, like, he's got the latest one where, all right, pull out your cell phone. Now everybody hit the silent button. And then one of the, you know, the trainees is like, I don't have a silent button. And he circles it on the whiteboard. We all have a silent button. Um, takes a trip to Home Depot or whatever the home improvement store is in the commercial. And, he's, and he, he, he catches one of the, the students going up to somebody giving unsolicited advice in the hardware store about what kind of tools they should buy. And he's like, he didn't ask for your help. And then he's standing behind a, a, a minivan and he's like, come on, you can come out. You can back out of the parking space so you don't you know, hit anybody. And he's like, they didn't ask for your help. And then, you know, kind of one of my favorites is this guy walks in with blue hair to the hardware store. And, and he's like, under his breath, don't, don't say anything. Don't say it. We see it. We see it. And they're like trying to hold back. And it's like, he has blue hair, you know. Uh, so try as we may. And as much as I promise you, y'all who are much younger than me, you swear I will never be like my parents. You're going to need Dr. Rick one day. Because <laughs> we do. We do. We just become like our parents. Um, I know we're like, I'm going to be the cool parent. I'm going to be the fun parent. You're good. You know, so many of the traits. Why? Because your life has been so immersed and our lives have been so immersed in our homes that we take on and we just absorb kind of the, the ways our home functions and we absorb our home's values and we absorb the mannerisms and customs of our home. We become like people that we're around. Uh, and so... I think when it comes to the area of discipleship, this is such a key principle. And I think it's why uh, Paul transitions to home life as a model or, or parenting, especially as a model for what disciple making looks like, for, for what it looks like to make disciples. And so if you're going to become like your parents, like it or not, and you transition, if you're going to become like the people in your spiritual community that invest in you, then there's a question I want to ask, and hopefully I'll remember to ask it a few times throughout the day. If the people you're investing in become like you, what will the result be? If the people you are investing in, that could be your children, that could be the people in your Sunday school class, that could be people in discipleship groups that you're a part of. If the people you are investing in will become like you, then what will the results be? What will the results be on their... Mentality. What will the results be in their responses? What will the result be in their spiritual maturity? What will the result be in what they do with what they get? And so kind of one more statement I hope I'll remember to say a few times is like our job as parents is not to simply raise children. And I know we think, hey, no, that's our job, right? No, our job as parents is to raise the next generation of parents, right? Our job as parents is to, for children to grow up, to launch out into the world, and then to go do the things we've done. And translate that to disciple-making. Our job as disciple-makers is not to create really good students of us. Our goal in investing in the lives of others is that we are training them to then invest in the lives of someone else. And that's what Paul is going to press on us through these relational imageries in the text today. And so, again, the, the main theme of Thessalonians, that in light of the return of Christ, because Jesus is coming back, and that motivates and that changes and that gives hope and all these things, 
then we should boldly proclaim the gospel. We should live lives that adorn the gospel well. And then we should tie ourselves deeply in the gospel community because that's how we are going to endure the hard stuff that this life is going to bring and even the suffering or persecution that this life is going to bring. And so last week, uh, Paul went through these set of uh, negative or these things that he did not do, meaning all these characteristics and motives that were not the way they conducted themselves. They were in opposition to the way the world conducted itself. Traveling teachers conducted themselves. Traveling moralists conducted themselves. And instead, they were opposites of that. And so they were like, we boldly proclaim the message of God's grace through the work of Jesus Christ. We boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we didn't do it for greed. And we didn't do it with impure motives. And we didn't do it with uh, tailoring our message to popular opinion. We didn't do it with a what's trending now kind of message. We did it with this bold assertion of who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished and what the need of humanity is. We boldly proclaim the gospel and we paid a price to proclaim the gospel. They got kicked out after getting beaten and thrown in prison in the city before, and then they show up in Thessalonica, and conflict is what the church gets to observe in their life. This week, it's going to switch with a a but into the positive side of what their ministry looked like. And the words that he chooses to use are relational words. When he moves away from what we were not to what we were, he moves to we were mothers. We were fathers. We were brothers. Listen for that as we go into First Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 through 16. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being a, uh, uh, since we were affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God. Which you heard from us. You accepted it. Not as the word of men. But as it really is. The word of God. Which is at work in you you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God. In Christ Jesus. That are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen. As they did from the Jews. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And so as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So, Father, I pray we would be willing. I pray that we would be convicted. I pray we would be rebuked. I pray we would be encouraged. I pray we would be inspired to be mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers who, not begrudgingly but gladly, rejoicing, pour our lives out for other people. 
God, I pray that you would rebuke any apathy within us. I pray, God, that you would challenge any wicked way in us. I pray, Father, that you would hold the mirror of the word up to our hearts and our lives, that we might see it, not as condemnation, but see it and be changed. God, if there's wicked ways in us, it might be uncovered, and God, your grace might transform us. You saved us to make a difference in the lives of others. Rescue us, Father. Send us, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So relationships are the pathway for discipleship. Relationships are the pathway for discipleship. First, disciple like mothers who lovingly and sacrificially invest their lives. Disciple like mothers who lovingly and sacrificially invest their lives. And guys do that in a manly way. Ladies do that in a lady kind of way. But we're all called to be mothers, uh, to disciple like mothers in this passage. Um, So I I was thinking, like, with my mom, she passed away. And she passed away before I was in a place to really stop and thank her because I realized what she had done. I realized what she had sacrificed, right? Right. Uh, and so she passed away before I got to tell her, like, you know, my mom worked two jobs at, at times uh, just to keep us kind of with the basic things we need. Uh, single mom, you know, tireless nights. Chris was a troublemaker, and she spent many, many sleepless nights uh, with Chris not getting home quite on time. Um, she, she sacrificed everything she had. So imperfect, but she sacrificed everything she had. To keep us safe, to protect us from the bad choices we were trying to make, the destructive choices we were trying to make, to to train us, to push us, to be all that she could be for us. But never got to say that. And I think it's so often as we grow up in a home, like, we're kids. We don't think that way. Like, parents aren't really people, right? They're just these these people that live with us, and for some reason they're not quite people that They don't feel and think like we do, and they're just different than us. And we don't think about what they sacrifice, and we don't think about how they nurture, and we don't think about how they sit at our bedside uh, to hear one more story after a really, really long day and not really wanting to hear this story, but that they lovingly and patiently listen and lovingly and patiently nurture, and so that they sacrifice to nurture, or they, they nurture which requires sacrifice. And that's their qualities. And that's what Paul, I think, is pointing out here. And so I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me. What picture comes to mind when you think about disciple making? What picture comes to mind when you think about being a disciple? And I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me to this. Delete the picture of me standing up here behind a podium or your Sunday school teacher standing in your class behind a podium. And insert the picture of a mom who has just worked 10 hours and isn't done yet. Because I think that's what Paul is trying to press on us. Yes, there's a public ministry. Yes, there's a teaching ministry. Yes, there's a pulpit ministry. Yes, there's preaching. Yes, there's teaching. But there's also, when the lights go out, then I get to keep sitting by a bedside. I get to keep hearing. I get to keep pressing. I get to keep picking up the phone to nurture, to help, to nurture, to life at whatever cost. So that I'm nurturing faith and help in the next generation, even when it takes a sacrifice. And I'm willing to sacrifice to nurture faith and help in the next generation. And so here Paul challenging us to that. And so 
As we jump in, it talks about, but we were gentle among you. And so that but is a transition. It's a contrast from what happened last week. And so broadly last week, it was a negative set of statements of we didn't do this and we didn't do that. And this was not our motives and this is not the way we operated, which was very necessary. But when he comes to this but, he's contrasting. Now, here's what we did instead. But I also think he's very specifically contrasting with what just came before it. And so what just came before it is we were apostles which means we had the right to demand respect from you. We had the right to demand honor and fame from you. Our status would have required or would would have certainly allowed us to expect from you a certain level of treatment. And as apostles, our status would have allowed us to place on you the demands for our provision. And so as a young church, it would have been your job to provide for us. And as a young church, it would have been your job to to elevate us to our proper position. None of that would have been bad. But instead of going as famous teachers and famous apostles, how did they go to Thessalonica? Like nursing mothers who care for their own children. There is not a worse paying job, physically speaking, in the history of humanity than raising your children. Thankless. In fact, the opposite of Thanksgiving is oftentimes what we get from our kids, right? I won't go into details, but if you you have them, you know what I mean? Like, they're not ascribing your greatness for, for loving them and staying up all night and helping them and providing for them. Like, you don't get an applause very often for that. In fact, you get, like, all kinds of accusations hurled against you. And that's just the nature. It's thankless. It doesn't pay. And even oafish husbands like me, we don't really recognize it that often, but we're reminded on days like Mother's Day, oh, yeah, you do an amazing job. You do so many awesome things for us. Thank you. And so far from the acclaim of an apostle, we came like mothers. We came like nursing mothers. You know, nursing means infants who don't sleep, who do nothing but demand Constantly, And so we came into you like nursing mothers taking care of our own. And you think about what a tender imagery that is, right? The, the whole life, the whole health, the whole sustenance is dependent on this mother taking care of this child. And, and in, our, in our day, like, or in our culture, like, there's, there's doctors, and you're making, like, especially early on, these almost weekly doctor's appointments to measure the head, to measure the height, to measure the weight. Did they have a bowel movement, right? All these kind of things that that they measure uh, to make sure that that the baby is healthy and the baby is functioning and the baby is growing according to markers. And so these are the markers of health and these are the markers of growth. And then you stay up all night long feeding the baby throughout the night. And this is that picture of a nursing mother. It is sleepless. It is tireless. And it is what, what do I need to see to make sure they are healthy and growing? And that's the image. Another thing about nursing moms is what the mom takes in will largely determine uh, what the baby eats. What the mom takes in will largely determine the health of the baby. And so one way you'll know this is eat a really spicy meal before nursing. And the whole family will get to pay for that decision. And so as we think about those are some of the qualities of the thousands of nursing motherhood. Then what about discipleship? What about discipleship? That we are consumed with seeing in the people around us the key markers of their health and the key markers of their growth. 
and we have these regular checkups to make sure that they're progressing, to make sure the measurements are, are still working, that we, that we uh, continually are, are, are feeding, we're continually nurturing, we're continually pro- protecting, we're continually guarding, we're continually keeping outside dangers from creeping in to the level that we can and to the level that we know is appropriate because some things they just have to learn by experience, by messing up and being hurt by that. But, but these are the markers. And then if you're going to invest in somebody, what you take in and how healthy you are is a huge part of what you will be creating in the life of another person you invest in. And so like a tender mother caring for her own, that's the way we take care. We took care of you as our disciples. We took care of you to make sure you were nurtured in the faith. We took care of you to make sure you grew up strong and healthy spiritually so that you could do exactly what Thessalonians says you do. You sound the gospel out from you. The the gospel travels the seaport route and the trade routes from this city exactly because we nurtured that in you. And now you are becoming like parents yourselves and investing this in other people and so we came to you like nursing mothers we discipled you like nursing mothers why because we are affectionately desirous of you that is a very rare word that just speaks of the bond between parent and child because we were so bound to you because we so cared for you like parents care for their children that's why we sacrificed for you that's why we nurtured you that's why we invested in you that's why we spent tireless nights which he's going to say in the next verse laboring and toiling night and day that's how we lived among you why because we wanted to produce in you exactly what you are people who are transformed by the gospel and they want to see other people transformed by the gospel and so each of us needs to be at someone at one of these stages of spiritual life you are either someone that must be nurtured to help and growth Or you are someone who should be investing in others to nurture health and growth, or you're both. And so what if you were placed in your mind that the professionals stand up here and speak, the professionals sit in front of our classrooms and speak, and I just learn stuff from them, Two, I'm a mom mid-shift, who can I invest in? Who needs my love, my attention, my care? And, my, and the truths of the gospel that I have learned in life experience. Who needs that? And again, this is painfully obvious as our kids grow up. They become like us. And so if the people you're investing in become like you, and if the people I'm investing in come like me, what will the result be? What will the result be? And then he continues on and he says, since we are affectionately desirous of you, and yes, I am changing the translation there because I do believe that attaches to how she took, why she took care of her, or why Paul took care of them. And then we transition to, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves also. The word for ready there is the word of, we were pleased to, we delighted to. We enjoyed, and so this is not a begrudging duty of I'm going to get through this day and I'm going to force feed this kid, this disciple, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what it takes to raise them up because I have to. It is because it is my delight. It is the joy of my life. It is the driving joy of Paul's life to share with them the gospel. Why? Because look at verse 4. We were, in, we were approved by God and we were entrusted with this gospel message. So why did he show up in Thessalonica, even though it was going to cost him something, and share with them the gospel? 
driving joy of his life. He had been entrusted. It was a stewardship for him. And he was faithfully executing his job to share the gospel with them. But was that the end of the story? No, because I was delighted not just to share the gospel I was entrusted with. I was delighted to share the life that I've been given. Right? I was delighted to share my own self with you. The word is literally my soul with you. And so I was delighted to not just give you the message of the gospel. I was delighted to give you my life alongside the gospel. And so, yes, you should share the gospel with as many people as you possibly can. Any opportunity that comes up. And then even force a few opportunities for Jesus' name to be spoken in the lives of people around you. That has been entrusted to you. And that's not for some special few. That's not for some elite few. That's not just for really easy moments. That is the, that is the entrusting of, of what God has given us in the gospel. But don't stop there. See this? Paul says, yes, I gave you that. I did that. And alongside that, I gave you my life. Alongside the message of the gospel, I gave you my life. And so I, you see this throughout the letter. You saw me work. You saw me in our, our relationships between Sylvanius and Timothy and I. You saw me in my relationship with you. You saw in how I dealt with money. You saw how I dealt with the gospel. You saw how I dealt with conflict. You saw how I dealt with suffering and persecution. You saw the whole range of my experience underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you didn't just hear the message of the gospel. You saw what the gospel looks like in my work life. You saw what the gospel looked like in my relationships. You saw what the gospel looked like in, 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 in all of the areas of my life, even in the area of suffering. And so it was gospel and life. It was gospel and life-to-life discipleship that we gave to you. Not as a burden has a joy. Why did he do it? Because you were very dear to us. The word is loved because you were beloved by us. We loved you so much that it was our delight to give you us, to give my whole life for you, to sacrifice our lives so that you got this message and had this transformation happen in your life and that this message went from you into the lives of other people. It was our delight to share with you That you are sinners who are separated from a holy God. It was our delight to share with you that you were made by God and for God. It was our delight to share with you that that, that the nature of your heart after the fall is now you are sinful and you are separated from a holy God. It was our delight to share with you that we are sinners by our nature, by our choices, by our words, by our actions, by our inactions. And it was our delight to share with you that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That God the Son lived the perfect life you could not live. And that God the Son died on a cross for your sins and the sins of the whole world. But that he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And that he sent his spirit to offer you life if you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus alone to save you. It was our delight to share that with you. But it was also our delight to share our lives that had been changed by that message with you and put it alongside it. Why? Because we loved you. Because we love you. And so, I want you to think of it this way. We are not short on books on discipleship. We're not short on books that will tell us a process to disciple people, the theology of discipleship, the value of discipleship, um, the game plan of discipleship. You can, whatever you want to know, there's a book on it. But there is not one thing that can substitute that you love somebody in Jesus' name for God's glory so much that you give your life to them. A book can't teach you that. The Holy Spirit has to 
do that within you. The word has to transform you to that. And so, yes, we need books and yes, we need processes and and, and all that. But there is not a substitute in this world. There's not a knowledge component in this world. There's not a study in this world that can take the place of you loving another person and sacrificing for their health and growth in the Lord. And so it comes down to you and it comes down to me. Either as someone who needs to receive the love and the nurture and the sacrifice and the teaching and the investment of another person. Or as someone who has received from the Lord to give it to someone else. Who needs to sit around your table and be loved on in Jesus' name? Who needs to sit around your table and have you hear their story one more time and then share God's story alongside of it? Who needs to fill up your table because you love them and you love Jesus and you want Jesus to make all the difference in their lives? Now, you're going to see, that's why we talk about hospitality a lot. You're going to see as you fill your table up, you're going to see life. And you're going to sit at that table and you're going to see the real stuff, not just the stuff that's cleaned up for public consumption. Right? You're going to see the... uh, I don't know if this is a good way to say it or not. You're going to see the the in-movie theater version, not the TBS made-for-TV version of somebody's life. But I hope alongside that what you're going to see is you're going to see struggle. You're going to see confession. You're going to see repentance. You're going to see humility. And you're going to see what it looks like in the messy, real stuff of life, how we try to humbly walk with Jesus. And so I think a lot of us are like, "Eh, you lost me there. I'm not showing the the movie theater version of my life to anybody. Well, then you're not going to see the radical transformation of the gospel in anybody either. As long as we do the made-for-TV version where everybody can see it and it's suitable for all audiences, then we will be keeping people at enough of a distance that the gospel will will, will keep a, a distance of transformation in their life. You know what? I'm also convinced in the cultural times we're living in, You know, there's no news media outlet calling me on how to fix the world. They don't care what Chris thinks. And really, even on social media, they don't care what Chris thinks. They don't care what you think either. I have no influence over public policy. I have no influence over Washington, D.C. You know what I do have influence over and what I do believe will actually change the world? And I believe if we fill our table up with people different than ourselves... And I believe if we seek to understand and weep and and empathize and change our perspective, if we seek to understand and be understood, if we seek to see transformation happen around the table, that's how God changes the world. Heart by heart, life by life, home by home, family by family, multiplying from person to person to person. That's a part you can play. And I promise you it will be more powerful than what you're going to post tomorrow or today on your social media feed. I promise you it will have a more lasting impact for both Christ and culture. All right. Spent too long on that one. Disciple-like fathers who encourage and challenge people to grow. Disciple-like fathers who encourage and challenge people to grow. Now, I understand, because I come from a home like this, that fatherhood is probably one of the more painful Christian images that we have as Christians who live in America. That too often the image that is brought up is somebody who was distant, somebody who was absent, somebody who was harsh, somebody who abandoned, somebody who was unavailable. 
That's part of the image of a, a, a large part of our, a growing percentage of our experiences is we come from homes where they're absent or homes where they're distant or passive. But that's not God's model. That's not what he is calling us to in this text. Instead, if we were to think of it this way, you know, Amy is the, I'll stop, I'll listen to you, I'll get you one more glass of water at bedtime, I'll hear your one more story, and Dad's like, nope, I'm done. You know, it's bedtime, like the shift is over, I'm punching the clock, uh, you know, there's nothing dangerous in your, in your life right now, you're not going to dehydrate, you're not going to starve to death, so I love you, mwah, night, right? And Amy's like, no, you know, 30 minutes later, she'll come into the bedroom, like, where were you? Oh, I just was, that's Amy, and I love it. Here's Chris. Get off your butt and go to work. Right? Go do something. And I'm going to be like, you can do it. You must do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive you. I'm going to charge you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm like, let's do something about it. Let's get up. Let's get active. Let's, let, let's do something. Right? And so this, this, is, this is Chris's word. Tough it out. Right? You can do this. And I'm going to be the loudest one on the sidelines cheering for you. And I'm also probably going to be the most direct one saying, you got quit, quit whining about it and let's go do something. Right? And so you need both. You need a sanctified version of both. You need tenderness and toughness. You need, you need gentleness and firmness. You need, you need um, command and compassion. You, you need this whole flavor. If you're going to disciple people, yes, there's nurture. And yes, there's gentleness. And yes, there's nurture like a, a newborn child. And yes, there's feeding. But there's also directions and directives and, and, and push through and press on. And I'm here for you. And you can do it. And both are components, and that's why Paul, as a man, is both a mother to them and a father to them, is he realizes that there's got to be this fullness of our discipleship in people's lives that is both sacrifice and nurture and direct and teach and discipline. And so the section starts out with, here is our character that you observed and you witnessed, and then it closes with a challenge Now it is your turn to imitate that kind of life yourself. I am challenging you, and I am encouraging you, and I am inspiring you to live the same way we lived, which we would define as worthy of of God. And so here's what our lives were like. We modeled it. Now here's what your life is to be. We challenge you to go live it as well. right, and so let's uh, jump in. He says, so uh, you are witnesses... And God also. Now, this has been a theme in the letter. You know, you're a witness, God's a witness, you're a witness, God's a witness, you know. Like, over and over and over again in the letter. And so he says, you are witnesses, you saw this, you know this is true, you observed our lives close enough and personally enough to to see it. And then he says, and God also, who also sees the heart behind it, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. And so holy and righteous uh, culturally gets put side by side sometimes. And so the laws of God and the laws of man. You lived in a way that was honorable to God, acceptable to God and divinity. And you lived in a way that followed the laws and customs and citizenship of, uh, of the country you're a part of. So that's one way to look at it. And that certainly is true. But these are also really loaded Christian words, aren't they? You are holy. That is, you were set apart to God. You were consecrated for the service of God alone. And so there were cups that sat in the temple that were called holy. Why? Because they were only used, they were consecrated for use before God. 
And so you're holy. You're consecrated for use by God. You are set apart to the purposes of God. You saw that our lifestyles represented people who had been set apart to God. We had been called with a saving call out of darkness into life, out of death into life. And you saw us living as those who had been set apart to God. And then righteous. That that the... We had a right relationship with God and lived according to the standard of God. And so the gospel called us to salvation and the gospel empowered a certain kind of life out of us. And we lived that kind of life out. Right. And so it was a righteous, grace driven, gospel driven righteousness that was a part of our life. And you saw it. You saw it in our work, you saw it in our relationships, you saw it in our words, you saw it in every area of life, right? This wasn't just for the church service that you saw it, you saw it in our whole lives. And then the last one, it was blameless. And so, not just before God, not just before you, but blameless is the idea that nobody can make a justifiable charge against us. Right, And so that, that somebody couldn't make a charge that would stick. And so this is the idea of outsiders watching us, watching our lives, and that there's nothing about our lives that, that would be charge-worthy or blame-worthy. And so you saw us. We lived before God righteous and holy. And you saw us. We lived in front of the world around us in a way that was blameless, at least all things being equal, at least nothing justifiable about our lives. And, and you saw that. That was the kind of conduct, that was the kind of lifestyle we had among you. And so as we stop and think about investing in the lives of others and others investing in us, here's something you know to be true. The power of a person's words are either multiplied by the character you see in them or diminished by the character you see in them. The power of someone's words in your life can be multiplied by their character. It can be diminished by their character. And so I think this is a great opportunity for God to just put in front of us holy, righteous, and blameless and say, when you speak to your kids, when you speak in your family, when you speak to to discussion groups in your Sunday school, when you speak to people you're investing in, does your life enhance that message so that the words are multiplied? Or would your life diminish the message that you want to say in those moments? Right? And so we were holy, righteous, and blameless. That was our conduct before you. And you know this, right? You met people that could speak well, or you met people that had a clever thing, or you met people that led your campus Bible studies, or you've met people, and and, and they were good at it. But then the more and more you saw their lives, the less and less power that message had in your life. But then you've also met people that because of the way they are, genuine, not perfect, authentically growing, authentically faithful, uh, not perfect. Maybe their message wasn't quite as good, quite as polished, but you're like, man, there is a power and a weight to what they say. I give weight to them because their life backs up everything they're saying. And then he switches it from this is how we were to this is now how you should be. Uh, And this is the last point we'll hit today. Uh, And so he says, uh, I've got to find my place again. For you know, again, this is the fourth or fifth time in the text. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted, encouraged, and charged you. 
So now he's to the image of the father, right? We're nursing mothers among you who sacrifice to nurture health and life in you. And we are firm, direct, encouraging, and challenging fathers who also press you on in the way of faithfulness. Press you on in the direction of God. Press you on in faithfulness to what he says and commands. And so we were like fathers among you. And the father of the ancient world was accountable for the training and the discipline of his children. Now, it doesn't mean he only did it. But he, it would mean it was his responsibility to make sure they were trained and make sure they were disciplined. And so it was both a positive and a negative, right? And so positively, I am going to train you and prepare you. And negatively, I'm going to correct you when you get outside of the boundaries. And so we were like fathers who taught you, and we were like fathers who corrected you. We were like fathers who set the edge and then inspired you to live up to that edge. We were like fathers who set the bar, and we equipped you, and we challenged you, and we inspired you, and we encouraged you to hit the bar and go over it. Like That was our task. And so you saw us, these first two words, being positive, exhorting you. You saw us making positive appeals in your life, positive challenges to your life, like here's what to do, you can do it. And you saw us also encourage you. That is, you saw us comforting and inspiring you, being your biggest cheerleaders. Like you saw both of these things taking place in your life as both this this positive life, let's go do it, and also this encouragement and support and inspiration that came behind it. And then you also very solemnly heard us charge you. That is the idea of we gave you commission, directives, standard, pattern, rules. And so we we both positively motivated you and we set the charge of your life, the direction of your life by commission. And what was it that you would walk worthy of God? That the consistent pattern of your life would line up to the character and the commands and the nature of God. And this is common in Paul. Paul is like constantly imitate me as I imitate Christ. And over and over again, I'll just give you the verse references. I won't read them all. Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, and Philippians 1. Ephesians 4, Colossians 1, and and Philippians 1. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of the Lord. Let your manner of life be worthy of God. Over and over again in this message, it was like not... Earn God's favor by living up to God's standard, but instead you've been adopted into God's family. You've been loved by God. You've been transformed by his gospel. Now this is what it looks like to be part of the family of God. Live up to the family name. Live up to the family's mission. Live up to the family's uh, goals and commands and qualities. Live up to it. And so that's what his challenge over and over and over again. Live up to that. And so like a father, we exhorted you to walk worthy of of God. And then he gives a motivation for it because he calls you to a future kingdom. He calls you to a future glory. We're so stuck and consumed with what's in front of us. What's pounded out on social media. This is one of the things God's convicted me of this week. It's like I'm letting my heart get so immersed in the stuff that's going on in our country. That it's being detached from the stuff that God says. And that doesn't mean that we should detach ourselves from what's going on in the world. But it means that as long as our hearts are drifting from, from what God is up to and what God says. We don't have a message to speak to our culture. We don't have anything to say to the world around us. 
And so I want my heart consumed with Jesus so that what I say is what Jesus would say as opposed to my heart consumed with noise and, 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 and uh, uh, problems and stress and, 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 and things that aren't right that, that I get so sucked into that that I forget God. Which means I forget anything of value that I have to offer to the world around me. There's a God who's called you to a different kingdom. That different kingdom is an eternal kingdom. Listen to what that kingdom is like. It is a never-ending kingdom of peace and justice. That is the marks of Messiah's reign. That is what's coming at the end of the age. All the accounts will be settled. That is the kingdom that the gospel fights for, to create peace with God, to create peace among men. Blessed are the peacemakers and justice. That we pursue justice, we mourn injustice until the day Jesus comes and brings complete and total justice. And that's my framework. That's the framework we teach each other. That's the framework we invest in each other. Sorry, I'm going too long again. Disciple-like fathers. Disciple-like fathers who firmly press on in these areas. And so I want to challenge you. Who is sitting around your table that is going to get both your care and God's commands? Who is sitting around your table that is going to see your life? That is going to see your relationships? That's going to see your successes and your failures? All underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then let me also challenge you. Mothers and fathers' job is to raise future parents, not just kids. And so disciple, investing people's job is not to just to raise disciples and students of us who are very functioning and mature. It is to raise people who will then invest in the lives of other people. To be disciple makers, not just disciples. That's a mother and father's job. That's what Paul did in the lives of the Thessalonians. That's what it'll do for us. All right, a few practical things. We'll go through them real quickly. That's like two pages I'm going through here because, like, we didn't get to anything. That's okay. We'll do it next week. There's always, well, two weeks from now. Uh, we'll do it. First, give your life to a few. Give your life to a few. It is not enough to simply go to church, to simply do your studies, to simply go to Sunday school. That is not worthy of God. That's not, that's not the beautiful standard that we're exhorting each other to. It's give your life to a few. It's spiritually mother, spiritually father, spiritually brother, spiritually sister, a few. And so give your life to a few people. Walk into the messy realm of relational discipleship. It's not clean. It's not sanitary. And I know that's what you want. Because that's what I want. It is messy and it's heart-wrenching, and it's painful, and it's sweat, and it's sacrifice. But it's where God is. Challenge and cheer others' growth. Challenge and cheer others' growth. We have got to move from a learning-based model of discipleship where we just do studies and 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 studies to a relational model where we learn in relationship also an obedience model where we learn for obedience. How many studies have you finished that sit collecting dust on your shelf and man, they were good, but man, I'm not changed. Challenge the growth of the people in your circle. 
Cheer the growth in the people's circle. Press for their obedience. Have them press for your obedience. Press into relationship. Let them press you into relationship. And then the first Thessalonians challenge, as Micah has already shared, let's delight to give up the gospel to people. I think we've lost a joy in that. I'm reading a book that says, like, we're not sharing the praises of God because there's something in our heart that's not praising God. Let's delight in the gospel again and it's sharing, but let's don't ever stop there. Let's delight to give our lives to some other people as mothers and fathers, not just teachers. Let's pray. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we bow. And we ask, Father, for this gospel to change us first. For this gospel to go to the dark corners of our hearts and to pull out the things that aren't holy, that aren't righteous, that could very easily be blamed. And give us integrity. Give us integrity in the inner man and in the inner woman. God, pull it out by the gospel and then send us to a few. Consume us with a few that they might raise up as laborers into your great harvest. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together as we close.
left side, you can go ahead and begin to dismiss.